Hello and welcome to this Sustainable Wine podcast. This is a recording of a conference session that took place on the 2nd or 3rd of June 2021 as part of Sustainable Wine's Future of Wine Americas Conference 2021. We'd very much like to thank the sponsors of that conference, BSI, Bodega Argento, Jackson Family Wines, International Wineries for Climate Action and Avenea. Thank you to all of those groups for their important support and I hope you enjoy the session. Um, we've heard criticisms of organic for not being holistic enough or being too dogmatic. We hear criticisms of conventional agriculture for using too many chemicals. And historically, I think we all know that was true. And many would admit that many would say that really where we want to get to is, is a chemical free uh, you know, agricultural system. But that that is not always particularly easy, as was uh, discussed in earlier sessions. But I think we possibly all deg- we all agree on the destination, which is sustainability. The question is, what are the paradigms we use to get there? What are the tools in the box? And delighted to have our panel join us. I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves. So starting on, on my top left, um, Randall, uh, um, lots of people know you in the wine sector, but just for those who don't, uh, just tell us briefly uh, about who you are and what you do in, in one minute. I'm a winemaker, viticulturist, quixotic dreamer of possibilities, um, all enamored with the idea of a wine of place and determined to, to try to make a wine of place in my place in California, if I can. At least I'm going to try, give it the old college try. Thank you. Well, we can, but try. Uh, Laura. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for inviting me. Um, so my name is Laura Diaz-Muñoz. I'm the winemaker and uh, general manager at Ellis Estate. I'm winemaker at heart and general manager by accident. <laughs> But uh, I've been, I'm originally from Spain, um, but I've been here in California for almost 14 years and working organically only three years. So this is going to be an interesting conversation. <laughs> Thank you. Carlo. Hey, guys. Uh, so I am a fourth generation vintner. Um, uh, I guess 2019 marks my family's 100th vintage, uh, going back through uh, farming during Prohibition. Um, and then, uh, you know, I guess, long story short, my, my grandfather, Robert, really took us to the stars in, in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. Um, flocks are a hit. Um, my family sold. It was a, it's a longer story. Um, my grandfather, Robert, my father, Tim Marcy, began Continuum. And uh, I, I credit them as my, my biggest teachers in wine. And then my brother, Dante, and I went off to the true Sonoma Coast to um, uh, focus on Pinot Noir, a, a wine, uh, a variety that I'm, I'm in love with and um, went to college in France, worked in Burgundy and have dedicated my life to, to Pinot Noir. Along the journey, met my, my fiance who makes wine in Barolo. Now we have a vineyard here. I'm, I'm right now um, in Piemonte. And along the journey and, and kind of, I think, my heart and soul is in wine. Um, I'll talk a lot about sustainability um, today. Just uh, I, I'm one of the founders of the Monarch Challenge, which is a challenge to get rid of herbicides in Napa Sonoma through awareness and education and kind of trying to talk about that and through that hit wall after wall, uh, felt like I was never going to be able to solve this challenge. Um, and then uh, right across the bay, we have all the great tech Silicon Valley world. And um, if you can drive a Tesla down a freeway at 70 miles per hour autonomously um, and, and pop it in ludicrous mode and have it change lanes, you can drive a tractor down a vineyard road two and three miles per hour. So I'm one of the founders of, of Monarch Tractor, which is a tractor um, that is all electric, it's driver optional, um, it's autonomous, it's smart, collects a tremendous amount of data and is the bridge for us to <clears throat> cross away from um, 
uh, fossil fuel farming into renewable energy farming and get rid of the uh, cost divide between organic farming and conventional farming. So a new future is ahead of us where um, organic farming is the new conventional and we start talking about no spray stuff and all sorts of cool things. But that's me in a, in a little <laughs> quick bit. So sorry, I went long. <laughs> Thank you, Carlo. Uh, John, um, you're, some people in the wine industry may know your work, but others don't. So tell us a bit about what you do. Sure. Um, well, I'm a, actually a lifelong journalist, uh, spent 20 years in network television uh, in ABC and NBC News in New York City, working with Tom Brokaw and doing documentary work and have been focusing on sustainability since before the word was even well used uh, back in the early 90s. Um, for those of you who have a European background, you might be aware of the, an expose that I did many, many, many decades ago on the Body Shop Cosmetic Company. Um, and exposed the practices of Anita Roddick, who was much more uh, about um, uh, passion uh, and energy than she was about sustainability. And I'm credited uh, of utilizing the term greenwashing for the first time in the way it's uh, being used today. So, um, and over the years, I've written many books on um, uh, biotechnology, um, genetics in, in farming, um, human genetic related issues, um, two books on chemicals, one in um, agricultural chemicals and one on uh, chemophobia in general, very concerned about how we understand risk, uh, both human risk and ecological sustainable risk. And 10 years ago, founded a, a nonprofit called the Genetic Literacy Project, funded totally by foundations, independent foundations. It focuses on human genetics, um, agricultural related issues, and the central focus is sustainability. Our, we're very non-ideological. In my mind, I consider ourselves a all tools on deck. I would never embrace organic farming nor reject it, nor embrace conventional or um, biotech-driven farming techniques. It's all about what works. And if we genuinely are concerned about sustainability, we should not be in silos. That's my kind of opening little um, statement. And I'm excited about uh, and learning from this group of people here. Thanks very much, John. Uh, by the way, if we're not speaking, if we could be on mute, that'd be great. So if you can hit the mute button until I come to you. But Randall, you stay on because I'm going to come to you first. Uh, you've, you've been in this game a long time, um, famously with Bonnie Doon and, and another your, your, your latest initiative. How have your views around how organic evolved? Um, you know, things need to move with the times. Sustainability is a fast-moving target in many cases. Do you feel like um, your views have evolved and that, that the organic needs to evolve as a, as a concept along with them? What, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I think organic is, in a sense, a trivial trivial category. It, I'm, it's not the most meaningful category to me. I mean, what's most mean, meaningful is, is the fact if you can make wines that have life in them, whatever that means, or vitality, or energy, that's what, what's meaningful rather than Organic at a minimum is absence of pesticides, and that's a beautiful thing, but it's, it doesn't, it's no guarantee of positive attributes. So I'm interested in sort of positive, the positive things one might be able to achieve in wine, which is to say presence of life. Tell us more about what that means then. For those who are kind of wedded to the dogmatic as the, as the destination rather than the starting point, uh, what, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean... You know, I'm from California, so please forgive the slight woo-woo um, tendencies at, at play here. But the idea is that some wines have life and some wines don't. And you can 
really it's quite empirical. Some wines you open it and they have a very short shelf life. They don't they don't live. They perish in the presence of oxygen. So the ability for me, life in wine is the ability to tolerate oxidative challenge, and this is a great mystery which is has been woefully neglected. Uh, this is to me the wine's essential mystery. I mean, this should be one of the one of the definite positive attributes of wines. Can a wine age? And how? Should, should all wine age? I mean, most wine is drunk young, right? What's wrong Not with all that? wines, but certainly great wines should be capable of aging. And great wines have a natural um, antioxidative uh, quality. I mean, it's not sulfites that, makes wine, that make wines resistant to oxidation. It's, other, it's not necessarily even tannins or anthocyanins. Is it minerals? There, there's, one, there's one thing that's evident, biodynamically grown grapes and organic wines have a much greater um, ability to tolerate oxidative challenge than conventional wines. And nobody's really explained the mechanism of how this, how this happens, but it, but it does. And what are the other practices related to sustainability that you use in the vineyard that perhaps go beyond organic? I mean, I guess you're chemical free. We are chemical. Well, we, we, we do use some organic um, mechanisms to control things like powdery mildew, but um, the idea is we're, we're using certain uh, soil supplements, compost, biochar, specifically to invigorate the microbial life in the soil. Having a vibrant microbial life in the soil is absolutely crucial to producing wines that have, that have life. That would be the most significant thing that we're doing. Yeah, I mean, ultimate, ultimately, I, I think the other important issue, of course, is growing grapes in the particular grapes or the particular crops you're growing that are absolutely congruent to the site, that, are, that belong in the site, that are not being forced on the site. To the extent that you have congruity, you have sustainability. Thank you. Uh, Laura, you mentioned uh, you've been on a, a recent journey. But is, is organic a starting a destination for you or just the beginning of the journey? Um, I, I think it's the beginning of the journey. Um, to be honest, I've been working organically just three years and I, I kind of like inherited a place where they were organic for almost more than 10 years. Um, and, and I realized I, you know, I analyzed every single of the practices that they were performing. And to me, it's been a very educational process. I realize that there's way more to do. There's way more things to understand. There's more data to collect. Um, I, I like data. I like to understand why I'm doing what I'm doing. I don't like just to do things because I'm told <laughs> that I had to do them. Um, so uh, to me, it's more about understanding the cycles of life of the of the vine, understanding the soils, understanding the place. I I I I I, I like Randall, I, I believe that wines have to be alive. And that's something that I mean, since I started drinking wine and understanding wine, wines needs to have life. Um, they have to have a personality, they have to talk about the varietal and they have to talk about the place where they're coming from. Uh, and sometimes I feel that um, some of the conventional practices are masking and making wines more homogeneous. Um, so I, to me, my journey is it just started. I, I'm actually, some of the organic practices 
I, I'm trying to get away from them. I'm trying to, uh, and we're organic certified and it's, it's actually very easy to stay certified and to, and, to, and to get the certification. But I'm trying to try to go a little bit farther. Uh, for me, it's more about, um, I call it conscious farming. Um, uh, try to understand what I'm doing, what is the consequences for the plants and for the vineyards, for the ecosystem, for my neighbors, uh, for my employees, uh, for my <laughs> my PNL at the end of, of the of the year. So uh, I'm trying to integrate everything, but um, and trying to make better wine. So, w- so which are the bits are you trying to get away from, or do you mean move on from? Tell us more about that. Well, um, I'll give you a, uh, an example that I'm dealing with uh, right now. Um, uh, we have a huge issue in, in the vineyards with leaf hoppers, and leaf hoppers actually um, are, are kind of spreading diseases that um, I would like to keep under control. So, uh, we organically we've been using in the past a product that is called Pyanic, and it's very aggressive towards other insects. I I, you know, I love bees. I planted in the in in our property a uh, bee friendly garden, um, and I realized that when I I kill my bees, when I added this product that is organic, that is certified, that is allowed to be used. Uh, so I'm trying to change the practices. You know, I'm, uh, recently I'm going to plant hedgerows with different plants. I'm I'm putting more bird um, boxes. Um, I'm going to release soon uh, some um, depredators, like ins- insects that are going to help to maintain the populations down. I'm trying to m- remove leaves. So there's a lot of other practices that are going to take me away from an organic practice that I'm not as convinced that is as good um, as we think. Yeah, very interesting. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it is a spectrum, isn't it? Um, Carlo, coming to the question in the, in the, the, the discussion itself, and is this the wrong question? You know, there have been critics of organic. You know, m- many of them, I think Miguel Torres himself has, has been critical, saying, you know, it can be worse for climate change than perhaps what we might call low intervention conventional farming. But is that kind of the wrong paradigm to, to say it's organic versus fewer chemicals? Because, you know, there's a bigger goal here, isn't there, Carlo? Yeah, no, I think, uh, you know, I'm working with the Torres family, actually, and I, I have a huge amount of respect for that, that kind of conversation of saying, hey, um, you know, we're, we're in a, first off, we're in a climate emergency. Let's, let's not kid about it, but we're also in an emergency for life and, and, and biodiversity. And, and, you know, just this last, uh, I think the last couple of days, it came out in the news that the monarch population of butterflies in the state of California, the Western monarchs, um, are down from in the 80s, 10 million, a population of 10 million down to 1,910 individuals counted. And um, so we're in a, in a, an emergency of, of mass extinction and an emergency of climate change. And you can't really have, my, my view on this is that you can't really choose. And the problem has been, and what Miguel Torres was um, articulating is that when you go organic, you're, you're using contact sprays instead of synthetics, and that you are in the vineyard far more often with the tractor and the tractor is combusting diesel and turning on one tractor is like turning on 17 cars on average. It's, it's just, they're incredibly pollutive and it's particulate matter, CO2 knocks, it's really dangerous. And it's a cars, case, um, excuse me, a, a class one carcinogen, those fumes. So they're not fun to be around. 
Um, and so there's this argument that, okay, organic farming may be better for, for farm, you know, your soil microbiome and your farm biology, but it's worse for the planet and climate change. And then the, you know, on, on the inverse side, um, you know, you're protecting your, your farm mi microbiology, but you're, 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 you're um, you know, burning more diesel. So it's, it's, there's this always been this argument between the two. And then there's always the cost implication too, is that while you're driving your tractor more, there's a greater cost associated. And so um, conventional farmers would always say, well, I'm actually doing what's best for the planet by spraying these stronger chemicals, by using herbicides, by using systemics and synthetics. And this allows for me to save money and to, to fight climate change. And the truth is actually, there's a lot of, of studies right now showing that the microbes, the individual in the microbiome of the soils actually um, fix uh, uh, greenhouse gases. So, so having a healthy microbiome is important. Um, but the, the fact of the matter is that if we're gonna continue on this planet to coexist with nature and exist on this planet as, as with life as we know it, we have to solve both of them. And so, um, you know, I, I got involved. I, I knew that, you know, glyphosate and, you know, um, I had done a significant amount of studies. I was just blown away by through the consolidation of, of wineries and, and, and farms um, that, you know, they're going from, you know, organic or herbicide free to, um, you know, using, um, uh, you know, kind of their, their 101 conventional farming paths to save money. I was blown away by, um, you know, the human health impact, which I learned quite a bit about. And then which, which bothered me the most and why I started the Monarch Challenge was, when I learned about, um, you know, like Laura was saying, the connection to colony collapse order with the bees with neonicotinoids, and then of course the collapse of monarch, um, the po population of monarch butterflies. And that's that's three things. It's not just herbicides and, and neonics, it's also, um, you know, climate change and it's also migratory path disruption, but quickly knew that if we're gonna actually continue on, we have to um, figure this out. And so that's, that's where Monarch Tractor comes in and trying to be a solution or is a solution to the monarch challenge. Um, which we can dive into later if you'd like, uh, Toby, but it's, you can't have your cake and, and eat it too in most instances. This is an instance where we have to, this is an instance where we have to fight for our planet and, uh, and both on the soil microbiome and farm biology side and on the uh, greenhouse gas side. Um, so. Thank you. I heard somebody say a while ago that we know more about the deep ocean than we know about soil in some cases. Uh, um, you know, it's a, it's a broad statement, but there's a lot to learn clearly about um, microbacteria and what affects it. It's a, such a fascinating subject. John, um, you, you've covered sustainable agriculture broadly. Um, we did a podcast recently, which I posted a link to, where we talked about copper sulfate and glyphosate, and you spent a lot of time looking at the science around this. I know you, you feel a bit frustration. There's a, some a bit of frustration that there's a kind of dogmatic obsession with organic, when it might not always be the, the best tool in the toolbox. So tell us more about your views on this. Yeah, I, and let's just say, I, I think there's no question hearing everyone talk here that, that our goals are all the same, but I think our understanding of science, uh, hearing people, th this group here talking, is quite divergent on many, on, on many aspects. So we, we really have to distinguish ultimately between what we want and how do we get there. Carlo re referenced that, but I'd say I, I diverged fairly dramatically from some of the, um, let's say, summary judgments that Carlo made about certain certain things. But let, let me start out by saying uh, there's a big uh, cloud of misinformation that hangs over the organic uh, conventional debate. And that's the idea that organic means absence of pesticides, which it absolutely does not mean that at all. Um, if you look at something like France and compare pesticide use per hectare in France or Belgium versus United States and Canada, US and Canada use one half the amount of pesticides per acre 
than the United States uses. It mostly is because of copper-related problems dealing with the wine industry. We all know copper is a very, very um, pro potentially problematic chemical if not used properly. It, it builds up in soils, it has many consequences. There are no synthetic alternatives. You know, it's not like the conventional industry says, oh, we have a better, a better way to deal with it. They don't. The only, the best way to deal with it is, is using complex understanding of soil health, the microbiome, things that you're referring to, Carlo. So these are not easy answers to make. And there's not a, um, a silo that you can get into and say the organic way is the best way or the conventional way is the best way. But we really do, I think, have to have a science-based argument on this, a science-based discussion on this. And that means putting aside certain, um, um, what I think are generalizations that are not science-based. So like the belief that glyphosate is harmful to humans, which it's not at all. I mean, there's been 17 major um, global organizations that have reviewed this and absolutely, sh there's no harm to glyphosate on, on, on humans at all. I mean, every single science organization in the world has weighed in on this. Um, and from a from a um, uh, Im impact on soil health and, and other issues, glyphosate is extremely beneficial. We look at issues like um, uh, the overall uh, uh, focus that we want, which which you had mentioned, Carlo, is how do we ultimately um, uh, limit the impact over uh, of of uh, wineries or uh, agriculture in general on climate change. And I can't imagine anyone would, would embrace an organic only solution when we know there's a yield lag of about 30 to 40%, setting aside the use of, of high-tech um, diesel belching equipment. Um, you, 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 if you're talking about boutique farming and wine, wine is essentially a boutique industry, fine, you're, you're addressing it for, for a affluent, um, dedicated um, audience. But if you're talking about farming in general, organics is a really an ecological disaster if you're interested in climate change because it's with a yield lag the with all the arable land in the world taken up right now the only way you can find new arable land to produce agricultural products is by clear-cutting forests so right now organics offers many solutions specifically its focus on microbiome and soil health and that has absolutely become a incredibly important um, tool in understanding what's, what sustainability should be. But as an overall solution, it's, it's an ideology. It's not a, it's, we need a much more nuanced way that says, where can we find the best practices from organic soil health, from conventional farming, other aspects of it, from biotechnology, the use of CRISPR gene editing. We, can, we have tremendous tools that might be able to, let's say, reduce dramatically the impact of, of the need for fertilizers. So what, I'm, what I'm, my plea is, is that we really open up this discussion to a wider focus on how do we how do we get sustainable agriculture? Not let's tool pick one tool just because organic groups have gotten together and and deign that that you need organic certification to use a certain tool. That is not the um, I think the way to ultimately approach a holistic um, attempt to to have a, a much more ecologically balanced approach to agriculture. If it's okay, I mean. I just really quickly want to just respond on the uh, glyphosate side of things, John, if that's all right, Toby. And, and, and sure. So my, my studies have shown in, in, in the reports that I've read um, and teaming up with a number of different uh, scientists and a lot of studies. And again, I'm not a scientist. Um, I'm just reading the documents. They've, they've shown that since the introduction of Roundup in 74, um, you know, it, it's, it's been linked to now it's, and now it's a known carcinogen. It's linked to non-Hodgkin's. It is not, not a known 
It's linked to autoimmune disorders like Parkinson's. In fact, there's a study that showed it's one of the causations of death in Parkinson's. And, and my beef is not with, with, with glyphosate, John. My, my beef is with all herbicides. The idea that, you know, using a chemical to mow is going to benefit the soil microbiome in any way, shape, or form is completely crazy. And now they're finding glyphosate in breast milk. They're finding glyphosate. I don't want to get off in a, in a different article, in a different, but you really, without, without, to be straight about it, you really don't understand the science of it to find glyphosate traces in breast milk at the trillionth level is absolutely not an issue at all. Look, we, we have the- It's not, look, about, is, it's not about it being just in breast milk. It's in cereal, it's it in Coca-Cola, it is your, in wine your, your, that's being used with it. It's in rainwater a hundred miles away from- Carlo, the, it is a very dangerous chemical. Why every, there is not one agency in the world. You cannot name an agency in the world. Not one, not one science agency that has concluded that glyphosate is harmful. There is not one. It's the there question not, of concentration see, and the question of buildup and concentration in our diet. There, Carlo, and, but you're not citing science. You're citing, you're citing, you, it, I'm it's like- I'm absolutely citing science. Science is- oh, no, Carlo, Gentlemen, gentlemen, I, I thought this might happen on glyphosate. It's not an issue a lot of people can, can agree on. And, and of course, you can. There, are, there are conflicting um, papers out there, um, and I think we should move on to talk about what science can offer. For if if our goal is sustainability, and we move beyond glyphosate here, because we're, we're not going to agree on it, and, and it just be a back and forth. Um, I'd like to point out that um, I don't think John takes money from the chemical industry, Pam. You keep saying this, but I really don't think he does. John, could you just clarify that? I don't, you know, this is the kind of misinformation that, that goes on. I don't know where anyone gets that viewpoint unless you go to, um, you know, I, you know, I hate glyphosate.com and it's funded by the glyphosate tort industry. We, we are a nonprofit. We've been in existence for 10 years. Um, we, we have federal 990s. We publish our, our information. We've taken not a penny uh, from any chemical industry uh, or any chemical company. The fact is, is I have on, on the board, the former president of the um, American Association for the Advancement of Science, um, uh, incredibly uh, influential and, and thoughtful people. Um, the, the, the cheapest way to go to attack someone is, is through guilt by association. It's even worse when there's no association there involved. So I think it's important to stick to the issues. I'll make one point about glyphosate. I'll say one point, 17, Carla, let me finish. International agencies have looked at glyphosate from the um, European Food Safety Authority, the EPA, um, the Royal Academy, the, the African Academy of Science, the German Academy of Science, um, three World Health Organizations. Not one says that glyphosate poses harms to either humans or to the environment. So and, things and, were being said about asbestos and doctors were once prescribing <laughs> cigarettes to people. So, I mean, no, it, it, I'm going to encourage us to move on here from glyphosate. What I'd like to talk about is what science can offer, what science, scientific developments can offer us in terms of having more tools in the toolbox. Randall, let, let me come back to you in, in your experience. I'm sure you've, you, you've looked at the science of what you're doing. Where, where do you think scientific research needs to evolve? Let, let's take glyphosate out of it for now to, to assist your journey and others in, in getting to uh, a resilient, chemical-free agricultural environment. Randall. Well, I'm, again, I'm not, I'm not a maven on the subject of agricultural chemicals. What is most interesting to me is potentially using 
breeding experiments or maybe even CRISPR to help create more sustainable varieties of, of plants, more uh, drought tolerant plants is specifically, you know, I'm, I'm very interested in Rhone varieties. And one of the tragic failings of Syrah, which is a brilliant grape, is its inability to uh, perform really good stomatal regulation. So it doesn't know how to close its stomates very well. If it could learn how to do that, it could use um, significantly less water. I mean, water is, is, is one of the big issues. I, I think the, the dichotomy between irrigated and non-irrigated vineyards is, is potentially way more interesting than organic versus conventional. I think we have to figure out how to grow, grow crops with significantly less input, specifically water. That's, that's, really crucial to me. That's where I'd like to see research headed. And yeah. that's where the gene editing um, focus ha is exactly on those areas. I think the climate change situation is so critical and so frightening um, that the uh, research in agriculture is really focused on drought resistant and um, uh, technologies, uh, CRISPR based, which um, I think there are a lot of people, even in the organic industry are recognizing that that might be um, a way that you can bridge the gap between organic fundamentalists and biotech fundamentalists, which are unfortunately way too far, far apart from each other. Yeah, I mean, we should just clarify that gene editing and GM are totally different things, right? For anyone who's confused, G G GMOs is about transgenics. Gene editing is, is a very, very different uh, thing, and um, it's still in its infancy. But, uh, Lara, I wanted to ask you about this. And you know, How do you think science can evolve to help you? I mean, I, I wonder if you've looked at the gene editing side of things or, or other areas. Um, Randall talked about um, drought resistance. Uh, coming from Spain, you must be very familiar with that as a, as a challenge. I wonder what your views are. Well, um, coming from Spain, and a comment about that, I'm, uh, our winery is located in, and vineyards are located in Santa Elena. I, I always think, and I started working in La Mancha in Spain, and if it feels warmer here than in La Mancha. <laughs> so I'm just saying that. Um, and um, how, how science can help us, um, something that I'm, um, I think we should all be working at is understanding what are the uh, emissions that we are like the our greenhouse gas emissions what, what what are we doing in our vineyards what are we doing in our cellars uh are we measuring it or how we can measure that what are the tools that we have out there or um like to measure those 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 numbers so we can actually know what to do to remediate it uh, i the problem um i feel that it happens all over the world is that most of the wineries, we are small. We cannot, I mean, we cannot have access economically to some of the technology and advances that everybody's talking about, about like, you know, we need to implement or we need to buy or, you know, it's, it's like we, we cannot afford it. Um, I believe that, you know, in Europe, small um, vignerons or small growers, you know, they just did what they could and, and for them, they don't have that, that technology. They don't have ways to measure, but they are very respectful with the, with the minyas because they, that's how, you know, uh, traditionally they've been working. Uh, so understanding a little bit of, the, of what we know right now that is right and using technology, I'm, I'm totally pro-technology. I'm totally pro-using uh, uh, GMOs if it's, if it's necessary uh, to improve and to make 
to be more uh, respectful with the environment, where you can get actually better plants, um, plants that are more resistant to diseases, plants that are giving you better wines. But um, how is is there's a big gap also in, in education and. Just talking about uh, the discussion that Carlo and John had, um, it's also there's a, a strong, the public media, how, how we are talking about this, how we are educating consumers about it, is actually uh, is creating a fire, fight in between um, different parts. And, and there's not, I don't think that is a, a good answer to the solution. I think uh, we, I'm, I'm totally promise and match um, and, and, and try to understand the pros and the costs of different farming practices and when to use it, when to use them and where to use them. Not every single vineyard needs to be biodynamic. Uh, they cannot probably uh, do it uh, depending where they are located are the challenges that they have to face. So uh, I'm, I'm, I don't know, I'm more uh, open-minded um, to every, every option, every, every technology that is out there. I'll try it, um, might not work for my vineyard or, or, or in my work. So it's, I think we should all be more open-minded and more open to understand our neighbor, why he's practicing different farming uh, than we do and try to work together. Um, that's, I think, what is, is very difficult because I think it's something that we all feel very passionate about. Well, that's very true. And, you know, the, the phrase, all the tools in the toolbox seems to apply. Carlo, how do you think that, that phrase is going to apply looking forward? I mean, we know what our destination is. Um, where do you see this going? We have a session tomorrow. We're going to talk about the electric vineyard, which is going to be really interesting. But, you know, how do you see technology beyond electric tractors, which we're going to talk about tomorrow, um, uh, applying to, to, to make sure we can have resilient agriculture that can deliver what's needed? Yeah, no, Toby, I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to that conversation. I think um, just kind of what exactly what Laura was talking about that, you know, I always, I always say, if you can, if you can make another tractor pass in your vineyard and didn't have to deal with the, the cost or the carbon footprint associated, would you, and, you know, for mowing or fine tuning and, and that's always uh, normally respond to, yes, you know, I'd do a more detailed pass here. I would do an under the vine pass um, there. And um, so the idea of having an electric autonomous tractor, being able to um, go through a field um, slowly without the, the, the burden of time um, and, and be able to do that on a 24 hour kind of operation um, is, is the future. I really see a future where, you know, we're working with Cornell University right now. They have um, a way to combat um, uh, mildew pressure with UV lights. So what if you could talk about getting rid of copper and getting rid of sulfur and getting rid of just getting rid of fungicides, period. My, my big, the thing that really got me into this was, was herbicides, not just Roundup uh, to be clear or glyphosate, um, but was all herbicides. Why would you chemically mow something that you can, you can mechanically get rid of? You can cut with a blade or you can, um, you know, turn over with, with uh, an implement. Um, and, and so I was baffled about that. And so, with, this, with a technology like Monarch Tractor, um, the ability to go completely chemical free becomes um, something that the future can, can offer. So I see a future of, of um, getting away from fossil fuel farmings immediately. So, so no more fossil fuels. Um, and then there's an easy, easy bridge to, uh, to farms that have either wind or solar um, or some form of geothermal energy to get even away from uh, using the grid and going into renewable energy. So I see, you know, cause we always talk about the crops that we're farming, the, the, the actual products that we're gonna use and eat and, and, and 
make into a delicious wine. Um, we don't talk about the other things that we can farm like energy um, that's on that farm um, that we have in abundance. Um, and so the ability to get to renewable energy and then through autonomy and through um, uh, intelligence, um, being able to, you know, we're working with UC Davis with the entomology department to be able to um, see different insects. You were talking about leaf hoppers, Laura, and, and figuring out, okay, you have leaf hoppers um, and being able to identify them with a camera. And then through, uh, you know, UC Davis, they're dissecting all these different insects and figuring out what's eating what, um, instead of having to use uh, an insecticide or a, a, a pesticide, you can go out and, um, you know, deploy a bunch of little uh, paras or, or little um, uh, beneficial insects that will attack um, the, the pest. So um, that, I, I, my farming, my dream of farming is permaculture farming. That's what I, I practice and, and I preach. And if I can't find a permaculture remedy, I go to a biodynamic remedy. And if I can't find a biodynamic remedy, I base out at organic and I'm a no-till farm. And, and so I, I think that the goal is to be able to have a future where we can make that economically superior to conventional farming. And, and, and I completely agree with John too, by the way, that organic is not the perfect path forward, that we have to find a path that, that is even higher than that. But um, I, I certainly think that um, the path forward is getting away from synthetics um, as much as humanly possible and, and, and to a beyond organic uh, future without the carbon footprint. Um, and I think that's coming very quickly. And Monarch Tractor is um, uh, one of the solutions, if not the solution. And it's a solution that I've, I've uh, personally help found and begin. Thank exciting. you. It seems very clear that um, agricultural research has been pretty underinvested in compared to, you know, oil and gas R&D. You look at the numbers, it's pretty, it's pretty staggering. And um, it, that's now being accelerated. Through my, yeah. through my other business, Innovation Forum, we run lots of sustainable agriculture conferences. And it's amazing, some of the examples you cited, Carlo, are being used. You know, the, the potential for UV, the potential for, for drones, the idea of precision farming through much cheaper agriculture is extraordinary. John, I wondered um, if you could do two things here. One, briefly, just explain how gene editing could help in the wine industry in the future. And secondly, if you have any other examples you've seen of where technology is really helping deliver on you know, the, the goals that, that Carlo has laid out that we're all looking for, which is you know, a sustainable, resilient agriculture system. John, just perhaps explain gene editing briefly and how it might work in wine. Great. Um, well, I do want to um, suggest um, for Carlo and, and, and those of you who are in California, you, you're, you, you mentioned UC Davis, which is, I think, the premier um, California uh, agricultural institute in the state and really among the best in the world. Um, to, to, to connect with Pamela Ronald over there, uh, who is a uh, geneticist well-known. Um, her husband happens to be head of the organic farming um, program there. And she and he co-authored a book about uh, blending different technologies, blending, drawing from organics, drawing from biotechnology and refocusing on sustainability, which I think my sense is that everyone here has that um, goal in mind. And we're, we're searching for what the, what the best way to get there is. And we're um, learning. It's a, it's a learning curve on all these things. And gene editing is one of the um, new techniques that's, that is in its infancy, um, CRISPR and other forms of gene editing besides CRISPR, um, I, I, would, I would be a little bit, uh, I, I want to separate myself something from, from um, what you said, Toby, is that it's completely different from GMOs. It is different definitionally. I'm not sure it's different um, uh, in terms of, of, of really the meaningfulness of it in, in, in the world. It's different in the sense that it, 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 you work, you're working within the genome of a plant as you mentioned, you through deletions or additions, and you're not going outside and, and it's not transgenic. You're not bringing in a gene from another um, 
another plant. The, the, the idea of something being transgenic has been the heart of the anti-biotech argument for 25 years. It's the whole Frankenstein argument that if you, you know, put a fish gene, let's say, as, as, as was once said, in, in a tomato, what, what, what do you have? Um, the reality of it is what we know about genetics, and I've written many books on this, and um, um, I think pretty well, pretty well have a good background on it. We, we are, you know, humans may, are, are 29% marigold genes. What our genes are, 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 are how they are expressed individually. And the idea of putting a gene from a bacteria, let's say, um, uh, in, into a plant is not necessarily in and of itself should be something we should be fearful of. So I think there's an artificial distinction. Um, the, the excitement over um, a, a gene editing uh, is that the transgenic Frankenstein label cannot be used as a way to cut off debate before we even start. But I would argue that GMOs can be beneficial in many ways, as could gene editing. But let's specifically talk about gene editing, which is not as controversial and not facing the 25-year-old outdated um, uh, regulatory structures that have blocked um, uh, the use of um, new technologies. Uh, it, it exists in Europe, the US, pretty much every country every area of the world other than Europe um, is embracing forms of gene editing. And it really allows you to um, reach some of the goals that all of you have talked about, Carlo in specific, in that we can conceivably um, dramatically reduce or even eliminate in some cases the use of synthetics by um, naturally um, stimulating uh, the, 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 um, uh, the genetics of, of various plants to either um, fertilize themselves uh, to, to, to use perhaps a metaphor, but also to um, uh, create um, ways to resist pests. Uh, how, how good, how, how wonderful would it be that we don't have to rely on synthetic chemicals or frankly, or natural chemicals. I don't see synthetic chemicals as any worse than natural chemicals. They both have their benefits and they both have their problems. The idea that somehow we should eliminate synthetic chemicals, but natural chemicals are good is to me not a science-based argument. We should be concerned about, is a chemical potentially harmful, carcinogenic? What are the consequences? Does it persist in the soil? And there are many cases where syn synthetic chemicals are far superior to their organic alternatives. Uh, and gene editing is, is advancing at a very fast clip. Uh, the only thing that's stopping it, I think, is not the technology itself. It's the cloud that um, the anti-GMO activists threw over biotechnology in general. But um, I, I think the biggest challenge going forward is, is water scarcity and soil quality. And those two things cannot be met by traditional organic farming or by, or by conventional farming or by cl classic GMO related solutions. We really need new solutions. And I'm not saying it's gonna be easy to get there, but I know that there are tremendous advantages to getting there and scientists, both academic and in corporations are focusing on this. So this, uh, it's very promising. And I think we need a flexible regulatory structure that focuses on sustainability as the goal and, and not necessarily on the technique that we are using to get there. And we have to stop demonizing chemicals. Now, organic chemicals, natural chemicals are not better than synthetic ones. Some are and some aren't. We have to look at how they profile and focus on the goal. How do we get to a sustainable future that protects the microbiome, and, and reduces the impact of, of, of water usage, because those are our key challenges in, in, in the decade or two ahead. Thank you, John. It's, it's amazing to me, isn't it? You know, we put a man on the moon all those decades ago and certain key areas of our lives are so 
under-researched, as we've been discussing. It's really quite extraordinary. Randall, you've been looking very um, thoughtful in the last 20 minutes or so. What are your reflections or thoughts on, on the conversation you've heard so far? Um, what can I say? I mean, it still kind of begs the question of really what why what are what is our intention in producing the products that we make and um i mean i think part of the problem is is there's just been this this idea that there's pr production is worth worth it for its own sake i mean i think what's what's really sus what sustainability means to me is the ability to create something distinctive and um and thoughtful and that's what that's the thing that's most interesting to me at this point. I'm, I'm not so much interested in efficiency. Efficiency is great, but uh, my, my interest is in, in finding distinctiveness because they, that's what creates real sustainability. Um, we, as an industry, as the wine industry, we suffer from irrational exuberance. We overdo everything. If, if a new grape is hot, we overplant it. We plant it in the wrong areas. There's enormous inefficiencies in our rush to, I mean, this is like, this is maybe a critique of capitalism. There's too much money chasing too, too few consumers. There's too much something chasing too few consumers. Um, I think what's interesting about Europe is its conservatism and the fact that they look, they look before they leap. We leap first and then we look. And I think if we, we didn't do that as much, we would be much more efficient and ultimately the industry would be, would produce much more interesting product. I'm not sure if this, my, my comments are really to the subject or not, but that's, that's what I wanted to say. Well, thanks. I mean, all comments are valid. It's a, it's a broad spectrum. Um, well, I'm not seeing too many more questions from the audience. Um, Laura, I can bring you in again, see if you have anything you want to add to what you've heard so far. Um, no, I mean, I, I, Hira Randall, and it's very lovely to hear you saying that. Um, I, I agree that at the end of the day, there's not a perfect solution. Um, I, I agree that human beings, we are very egocentric. Uh, we are thinking that what we are doing in the present is not going to affect the future. And actually, every single decision that they we take every single day is going to affect the future, the future of the wines, the future of the plants, and the future of the people that work for this industry. Um, so I think we should just, for me, that is sustainability. Uh, every single decision that we take has to be very conscious. It has to have the sustainability goals, whatever goals it's for everybody or for each person, um, it's, it should be in the form, in the form from front. Thank you. Well, look, I think I'll close it out there. It's been a fascinating discussion um, and uh, we have a lot to get through tomorrow. So thank you all for your contributions. Thank you for your, your comments. Um, Randall, Laura, Carlo and John, thanks so much for great contributions.